1: Welcome back, I'm Carl Mack and this is Combat Chronicles. Loads to talk about today because we've had a UFC pay-per-view, obviously, goes without saying. That's why you're here, you want to hear all my thoughts on that card and, well, it was a mixed bag really, wasn't it? I think I'm going to be forced to talk about a women's flyweight title fight, which if you listen to the midweek podcast, not something I particularly like doing, but this one... At least holds some intrigue. But uh, yeah, UFC 285 is mainly the story of the return of John Jones. Which, as I say, on the midweek podcast, I had a lot to talk about um, regarding that fight. And still got a lot to talk about it now. Certain questions were answered that I floated in that midweek show. If you haven't listened to it, I'm not going to force you to. But the sort of short of it was, is the John Jones we saw at 205 going to show up? the sort of impotent grappler, poor kickboxer, just sort of tanking it based on the fact he's got a great chin and can walk you down and just fiddle his way through the fight, which someone took umbrage with and said, you should have a bit more respect for John Jones and I'm calling it how I see it. I'm calling it how I see it. What part of me talking about how great John Jones was in his prime and... How he slipped in terms of how he approaches the sport of MMA and the differences between how great he was in his prime and what we've seen in recent fights is not giving him credit. To just say, oh, well, he used to be great, so I'm still going to say he's great now, that's just having low standards. Not going to do that. But yeah, John Jones, he didn't look too great physically. I actually recorded the. Um, sorry, let me. The caveat there, let me finish my sentence. I recorded the midweek podcast before the first. I think it was like the same night. I dropped it, they dropped the sort of promotional shot of Jones, looked like he had a bit of a gut, and I was like, okay, yeah, all right. not really certain that John Jones has approached this like I thought he was going to. Just a bad angle, because at the way, and he looked good, and in the fight, his back looked humongous. He didn't look like body beautiful or anything, but he looked a big, strong heavyweight, anyway, like 245 pounds, I think he was, 240 pounds. That's a great weight. That's more than fucking like Stipe Miocic in his prime, you know what I mean? Or thereabouts, it's, he looked big and strong. It looked good, but yeah, I'm getting sidetracked somewhat. The fight, let's talk about it. Thoughts going in: Could John Jones recapture any of his sort of previous form? Could Cyril Garn do what he needed to do and not shit the bed? That was my big criticism of Garn against and Garnu, that essentially he shit the bed. Was it going to be that due to the lack of power from John Jones, he's not a big puncher by any means, that Cyril Garn wouldn't shit the bed? It turns out that it was the wrestling that made him shit the bed, and he was absolutely awful. Now, Gunn has some talent, there can be no doubt about it. His talent would be better suited to glory kickboxing, in my opinion. Um, I don't think, or maybe something like, you know, Rising, you know, it'd be fine, like stomping people's heads out, um, because they've got, like, an absolutely woeful heavyweight division. But, yeah, in terms of MMA, Cyril Gunn. Everything I heard about him and I think I spoke about this in the podcast but everything I'd seen and everything I'd heard just I didn't see the hype. Liked him more going into the Nganu fight than I have done subsequent to that. People go, i oh, having a close fight of Nganu, that's good, do you know what I mean? He had a really close fight with him. Yeah, he did, he did. And Nganu with one leg who out wrestled him and, you know, gone made bad this bad IQ demonstrated in that fight. That's what worries me, it's the bad IQ. You can be the immense athlete that he is at heavyweight and he absolutely is and have the striking ability that he has and he absolutely has it and you can be still relatively young in your career and I'll give you some sort of sort of dispensation for that and I'll you know make allowances for the fact that you're not quite there yet. But when you hear the stories and I think he said it himself that you know, essentially he doesn't go to the gym unless he's got a fight booked. That's a guy who doesn't want to learn. That's a guy who doesn't want to progress. That's a guy who will never progress because that's a mentality thing. And when you see him make bad decisions in fights, yes, that will come of experience, but it's also got to be down to mentality to some extent. And when I see him capitulate, like he did against John Jones in this fight, which I am going to get to, I promise, that's a mentality thing. Stick a fork in him. You might think I'm being sort of harsh, unfair to know he gone up against the, the hardest puncher in MMA and uh, one of the all-time greats. And in both fights, lost to a varying... In a varying degree of awfulness. Uh, but, you know, there's certain things that just don't sit well with me. Jones, you know, pressured him. And it's Gunn's lack of knowledge that causes him to be so easily pressured. He's able, He wants to concede ground um, and therefore get further, closer back to that fence. Because he knows he lacks the, the acumen to deal with Jones's grappling. I mean... Can't get overrooks, he done not even got a clue Completely woeful And Jones practically kicks him straight away Giving him something to think about There was a point where I garnered him with a sort of uh side body kick and I thought Oh here we go, there's something here Not the low blow um, But I thought oh, there's something here, here we go, that's 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 good You know? But he's just conceding ground too much There was a point where he, he He was in Southpaw And I think I made this point when I spoke about Garnet and Garnet back when I did a preview last year was it last year? Yeah. Um of course it was last year, but was it last year or the year before? My podcast wasn't even running the year before, so it's definitely last year. Um uh, just more he's more comfortable kicking out of one stance and jabbing out of the other. And he jabbed in the South stance here and he jabbed low, he jabbed to the body and drew a reaction. Jones parried the shot, reached down to parry the shot. Wasn't trying to grab the wrist or anything, which is what Jones does brilliantly, of course. He's so good with that sort of long guard and then using it to hand fight, or pull his opponent in for knees or to close the distance or use that to transition to the body block, etc. And it's all things that he does great. But in this, he wasn't. He was parrying. Garn, he jabs low, doesn't land anything. Jones sort of parries it or bats it away. And Garn just backs off. Now, drawing that reaction, sharp mind and a sharp mind in me, obviously, but you know, from the outside looking in that's all this podcast is I'm not saying I will do better than him I'm a little fat guy who hasn't been in a gym for years Um Garn would knock me out with a look so don't get on your eye horse but he's drawn a reaction and done nothing to follow it up now I wouldn't be too bothered about that if he's just trying to get reads etc but what he does after that is he jabs low Jones parries there's no follow up despite that hand being low so He knows straight away, oh, okay. if I jab low again, I can then turn that over upstairs and hit him right up because when I jab low, Jones drops his left hand, Okay, Garn doesn't do that. He immediately retreats and then shoots a backhand with no setup whatsoever, off balance, goes over his lead leg, Jones ducks underneath, gets a body lock and from there it's basically over. Jones puts all his weight on Garn, drags him down, attacks posts, and then when he gets him in this occasion, it looks like Gun might be able to wall walk, he just gets him in a in a front choke and it's over, basically. He just taps out with little resistance. And again, this to seem like I'm being really unfair on Gun. You know, yeah, it must be horrible to have John Jones on top of you putting the squeeze on. I absolutely agree, but he just he, he capitulated. Really, really easily. John Jones looked surprised at how easy it was. And the reason I'm saying this and being so unfair and it is unfair, I know it's it's quite harsh, but it's not unfair, no, it's harsh, it's not unfair, but it is quite blunt, It's because Garn made Jones look better than Reyes-Santo-Smith did, you know, where he looked really shot as a fighter. Jones tried to show a bit of his dynamism, he sort of, uh, what did he do, did he miss a kick and then, or something, but then he sort of went for the spin and he kind of, it was quite seamless in the spin, but he did look kind of silly. Old burly bloke doing that doesn't look as cool when, when the uh, the kind of lanky, arachnid Jones was doing it when he was fast as fuck back in the day. But okay, tried to spin. It's what I wanted on the midweek podcast. Let's see, let's, see, let's see a return to the old Jones. But the fact that Garn made it easy for Jones to do what he struggled so badly against those guys. I mean, I did a robbery on the Patreon about the Reyes fight. Took him four rounds to even try and grapple him and even then Reyes was able to fight grips, you know, get over hooks, fight Jones off relatively easily. Considering it's John Jones. Garne just fell a bit quite easily against the biggest and most likely strongest fella John Jones has ever faced. I mean DC is stupidly, you know, DC's the strongest fella he's faced. And he and he, and he fucking wrestle fucked him in their first fight. That's the incredible John Jones. I said that in the in the podcast last week, that's the John Jones, that's the real prime John Jones, go and make him look closer to that, than any of those light heavyweights did, and those are flawed light heavyweights, it's not like, um, I mean I've spoken before, you know, Jan Blahovic is flawed, and flawed, it's not like they're a murderers row either, the fact that, you know, it's Reyes, Santos, Smith, who have varying levels of ability, I'm not just going to be one of these online guys that are light heavyweight shit, they're all shit, in the you know actual facts of it, they have varying levels of ability and they all made John Jones look pretty bad. Cyril Garn made John Jones look a lot better. Now, it's a couple of things I did touch on in last week's pod. I hate to keep referring to it, but I will for the uninitiated. you haven't had a chance to listen to that one. I thought that John Jones might be liberated about the weight cut. I think that's clear to see. Um, I thought that might make him less sluggish. I think that's clear to see. He was more proactive. Just, just seemed a bit more with it. Um, even at the weigh-in, I thought this guy looks so confident. He must have... He must feel good in himself and he must look at Ghanu and go, this guy's got nothing for me. And essentially that's what it is. This idea that this fight is some huge legacy builder. John Jones, he's won two bouts. Unless you maintain that Garn was so badly robbed against Ghanu that he is the rightful champion, which I could see. If you're going to make that case, make it. Don't tell me that just for winning this bout, which is essentially is a vacant or interim bout, against a fighter as flawed as Garn. Or the idea, the notion that all number one contenders are built the same. So, Gunn, he's the, he's the number one ranked heavyweight. What a win. What a legacy builder. Well, the number one ranked heavyweight, who we've got previous tape on not looking all that brilliant. Uh, I mean, I think he looked particularly good against Volkov. I don't think he looked particularly good. I mean, the tie two of us are amazing how he turned it around. But it's not like he didn't get dropped by him. Uh, and like I say, he looked weird against Ngannou. It's not the It's not the same as... I don't know. I mean, we had a fight last month that was a bigger legacy builder. Makachev versus Volkanovski. That's a fucking legacy builder. John Jones beating someone who's nowhere near as good as he is at MMA. That's not a huge legacy builder. It's good that he beat a ranked heavyweight. Very much happy. If he'd done that when heavyweight was last good, you know, in the Velasquez, Verdun, Miocic sort of time, now he'd be talking about a GOAT contender. This whole thing that John Jones has now come back and proved himself without a shadow of a doubt, the greatest of all time, doesn't really sit that well with me, considering we just saw, and hey, hear me out, this is not the same as McGregor knocking out Aldo that quickly. Because that's a guy winning a striking battle, we know that's a great striker. John Jones easily out grappling a guy who's terrible at grappling is not that impressive to me. And I've actually pushed back against the notion before that and I just use McGregor Aldo as an example, that dominant wins should be discounted because the loser doesn't show enough to prove themselves a viable scalp. Hate that. That basically means that the only um the only wins that are meaningful are in competitive fights. When actually we know that's not the case. Anyone who suggests that doesn't really know what they're talking about. It's that idea that, you know, oh unless it's really close. That guy down that night might not have been that good. There's Previous fights form, you know, skill distribution against similar uh, opponents or opponents with similar tools that you can use to prove that, oh, okay, it's not because they're useless and they're not a good win. It's because this guy had a really great night. To dismiss that seems sort of narrow minded. But in this particular instance, we, we know that Cyril Garn isn't very good at these things. And that's why John Jones was able to breeze by him so easily. If John Jones, who has previously been somewhat of a tepid kickboxer in some of his bouts, and I use those examples, his last sort of three fights at at 205, if he had won a five-round striking battle with Garn and absolutely pissed it, um, showing off great defence, you know, checked his kicks, beat him, landed a harder shot, that actually is... The kind of thing where you're saying, oh, okay." in terms of competitiveness, that makes this a better win. If Jones had to do that because he tried to wrestle Garn and Garn showed improvement, was able to fight off his takedown attempts, force him into his wheelhouse, and then John Jones won, that's where you go, oh, okay." the competitiveness there proves that that was a great scalp. But Jones has run over him in a way we know and in phases of a bout where we know Garn is poor. You know, I've seen a lot of people this morning, um, some people I really respect and some people I've I've never seen before, Uh, who maybe maybe I'll grow to respect, but I doubt it, saying he's proved it, he's come back after three years, won the second bout, and you know he is the greatest of all time. I hate to stick on this, but George St-Pierre come back after four years and beat someone who was better at MMA for a bout, a real bout. And I think that's what we got. Yeah, that's that's more important. You might say that due to the weight span that Jones, you know, yeah, she climbed more weight essentially. I get that as well. If you want to make that argument, not one I'd go for. There's nuance to this. It's just the best. I'm sorry to get hung up on this particular comparison, but if we're looking at the achievement based on about and a second weight class time off, the GSP Bisping fight is the comparison to make. GSP bispin was more competitive because bispin is better at MMA than Gunn. Bispin was definitely um, in a worse physical state than Gunn. He just had the up and down fight with Dan Anderson and probably only had one eye. And he was able to make a better fight of it with GSP. So GSP, you know, essentially had a closer fight with a guy who was in a worse condition than Gunn. But then bispin's way better at MMA than Gunn, And that was, regardless of what you think about the competition at the time at 185 not getting a look in due to bispin sort of going on a veterans tour that was the real middleweight title the lineal middleweight championship this is not the lineal heavyweight championship unless you're going on some notion that Gunn should be a rightful champ by way of robbery fight was weird and close i spoke about on heavy hands weird close fight and uh not really worthy of pure robbery in my opinion but either way if that's the guy who's your main heavyweight champion, it's still not that impressive. The lineage, in my opinion, does make it a more a more impressive achievement. But and as I say, the lineage at middleweight not was not indicative of the state of middleweight. You know, if GSP had stuck around, he probably would have lost to Whitaker. I mean, he would have been murdered against Yael Romero. That doesn't matter. The the achievement is what matters. If we're comparing achievements, Bispin was better at MMA. He was more dangerous to GSP with his historically good takedown defence, um get up ability and kickboxing skill than Garn was with his pure striking, which we know you can take him out of the, out of his game. You know, he's at his most potent when he's not just sort of being lulled into a fainting battle. And he was so scared of the grappling here, that's basically all we had. So Yes, I'm well aware that Jones came back after a long time off, and I'm well aware that Garner's in his physical prime. But forgive me for thinking that GSP's win over Bisping is way more impressive. I'm also well aware that for many of my listeners, the whole goat debate is a waste of time. But I'm just trying to respond to the sort of purveying conversation that I'm seeing today, and that's that's it. You know, it's not just Jones won the bout; it's Jones won the bout, ba- and look how amazing he is. Well, I'm glad that Jones has shown some sort of return to form. That's good to see. Regardless of your opinion on him personally, he is one of the all-time greats of MMA and it was a bit depressing watching his last couple bouts belts at £205. They'll probably line him up to fight Stipe Miocic next. Stipe not fought for a while, got smashed last time and past is past his best. But if he can have any sort of form, I don't think he'll be able to pull the trigger, Stipe. Just got the feeling... Even in that third Cormier fight, he looked sluggish. Cormier just looked more sluggish. That's my opinion. I think the second Cormier fight was when he last looked fucking really good. He's had a long career, Steepa. He's like what forty now. Top bloke. If he can be seventy-five percent of what he was in his prime, with his uh, defensive uh, wrestling ability and his striking, should provide a stern test for John Jones. But pretty sure John Jones is going to run over him just because, you know, basically I'm the same sort of internal debate I've had with Miocic, I'm having with Jones, you know, last time we saw him he didn't look good and he hadn't fought for a while, what sort of fighter is he going to be, well with Jones there was always that idea that, you know, he's not really had that hard a career and he's, he's his own worst enemy, if he can sort that out, he should be all right, you know, he's stagnated, Miocic isn't going to get any better, he can only get worse, so my assumption is that there's no real big questions and he's going to be if not shell of him, well, he will be a shell of himself. He might not be a complete shell, but he's not going to be anywhere near he was in his prime. So I should think that Jones will smash him to bits. And I have no idea whether someone like Pavlovich can even stand up to him in terms of defensive grappling. He's just a striker. May may he bop one of the greatest chins of all time early? Uh, maybe it's four-ounce gloves and heavyweight. But yeah, I don't really see any stiff tests for John Jones. So the reason I'm saying all this is this sort of conversation is going to be ongoing and for for a long time it was John Jones is the, the goat and if you don't agree you don't really know what you're talking about and actually I think there's a much more nuanced debate to be had maybe not for this podcast maybe for another one but I think in terms of the John Jones conversation we've got a bit more to add to it now we've got a bit more data he's interesting to talk about again hence why we'll I've to spend 20 minutes on him so that's a good thing and I hope uh, if any have any new listeners you don't think I'm sort of hedging against Jones and running his opposition down before he's had a chance to beat him or this is some sort of way for me to reclaim face and saying that Jones hasn't added to his legacy. That's not the case. Um I rank John Jones amongst the top five or six greatest fighters of all time. That's a very high ranking indeed. You're splitting airs when you get to that sort of level. Still think it's an impressive win to beat gun. Uh that he, you know, at this stage of his career he can still cut through someone with those sort of deficiencies easily because that's not always the case. Some people just, you know, There could be a time where you know you're completely shot, and someone like Garn just pushes you off easily. You're completely depleted athletically. This just does show a level of uh, longevity for Jones that's impressive, that you don't tend to see with fighters that burn bright early. You know, very much Jones was brilliant right out the gate, tapered off after some excellent defences, and looked very much like a veteran fighter who was past his best. The fact that he can still do this at this stage after timeout uh, of the sport, that's good. That's definitely good, and it adds to his legacy. It doesn't make him the de facto greatest all time That's all I'm saying. This is not a case of me going, oh, fuck it, he's beating garn How can I figure out a way to make it not that impressive? Or, God, he's going to have a long, dominant run at heavyweight. I better run him down now. No, just going based on what I see, my own opinions, based on the facts of these fighters and, and the ebb and flow of their bouts, assessing them fairly if you're new to the podcast apologies if i'm not talking about your favorite fighter uh, as you want me to and if you're a long time listener to the podcast i'm sure you'll know that i'll just feel disappointed that john jones wasn't as brilliant as he was and as exciting as innovative as he was creative as he was in his early days that's what i'm annoyed about Yes, the stuff outside the cage annoys me and makes me not be a fan of his. Not root for him. But to not be a fan of his fighting is a totally different thing. You can root against someone in a fight and still enjoy what they do in a fight. Or fairly assess what they do in a fight. If you can't, then you probably shouldn't be talking about fights. I think, you know, if you're completely ruled by bias, not a good thing. So, yeah, me... Uh, was not a fan of was, was uh, Let me start it. Let me show you my sort of journey as a Jones fan. Massive fan pre title. Rooted against him against Shogun because that was my favourite fighter at the time. A uh, bit annoyed with him after that, but not his fault. But you know, still amazing to watch him work. You know, he fucking pasted Machida and dissected everyone else. Gustafsson fight. I, I always thought he won that fight, to be honest with you. Maybe that's a one for right or robbery, but. That's when you start to see cracks in him in terms of not being this dominant fighter, or rather that the outside life was starting to, you know, encroach on his in cage abilities. After that, it's been a mixed bag. Some great performances, some not. Obviously, the DC one is the best performance of his career, in my opinion, based on what we knew going into that fight. That's the legacy builder. Gone, don't come close. So, yeah, this is like cherry on top stuff, really. But In terms of the current conversation with Jones, it's good that he won. It's good that we got something. I mean, if Garner had won, it's like, oh, uh, the UFC champion is someone who wasn't good enough to beat the guy they got rid of. This is what they banked on. This is what they banked on. People going, well, if Ngann was here, Jones would have beat him anyway. Stupid people like that. And he might well do, but it's stupid to just assume. You can't crown someone based on what they might do, only what they have done. That's what the UFC's banked on. They've banked on Jones beating someone in a better fashion than Garnu so people forget that the real champ's gone. And with 90% of the rhetoric I've seen today online, small sample size, admittedly, it has worked. I hope and pray uh, that my listenership are not as easily swayed, and I'm almost certain that's the case. But obviously, as always, if you want to have a discussion about it, hit me up on Twitter at CombatCR. Plenty more to talk about on this card right after this commercial break.
0: Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary.
1: Welcome back. we still talking about UFC 285, of course. Alexa Grasso defeating Valentina Shevchenko for the UFC 125-pound women's belt. I'm not going to talk about this at length, but... It is interesting, the dynamic here and how it played out. Um, Grasso, I've never been particularly fond of. Bit of a decision merchant in the division as painful as this. That can make it even more arduous to sit through. But she has chipped away. She has improved and she managed to hold her own here. And that's why she was able to win this belt. And Shevchenko, we know that most of opposition are so far below her and get so overawed by the potential to be cracked by one of her well-timed shots um, be it wrestling or striking that they go into a shower and, and when you go into a shower against Shevchenko she doesn't amp it up and go fuck it I'll get rid of you you're a level below me you're two levels below me she just starts fucking around basically and her fights are painful to sit through I'm sure there'll be listeners who are big fans of Shevchenko and respect her for what she's done I certainly respect her for what she's done but I just don't find her very interesting to talk about that's all I'm trying to say Grasso did not let her fight her own pace. When she was grounded, she was constantly trying to scramble, constantly making Chevchenko work. And on the feet, she was chipping away. She was very basic, basic sort of southpaw pressure, pressure boxing. Kept her hands up, was able to jab without points, but mainly trying to time those uh, bursts. And in the end, she timed one of those bursts, got her back quite easily. And uh, Before that, actually, this just go to a little bit more depth than I was intending to. Shevchenko did look worn, she looked tired, the strikes and the shots by the fourth round were way off, um, Grasso was you know, easy to take down in the early go-in, apart from one of Shevchenko's patented head and arm throws that don't always work, but you know, the, the reactive double was there often and then she'd have to work constantly to, to work her way back to her feet, but that was chipping away at Shevchenko and depleting and emptying the tank a bit, you know what I mean? But coming by the fourth round, Grasso was quite easily able to stuff the takedown attempts. Um, you know, Getting over get her or getting under and just push Shevchenko back. And then Val just started looking tired. And then the, then the striking started to look desperate. Then she was unable to dominate a range like she usually does. She was unable to time her opponents as she usually does. And she just started looking ragged. And fair play to her. She really tried to fight through the uh, the face crank that ended it. I spoke last week about early contenders for the sort of finish of the year awards next year. I'm already thinking about it. This one, we're three months into the year. This one's going to be on there, given who it was against, how it sort of went against. Well, I think the ebb and flow was favouring Grasso by this point. I think if she'd won, if she'd not finished Val in this round, I think she probably would have won the fifth round based on how Shevchenko was looking. And then we're talking about one of those three rounds. Did she land enough to, because she did land some sharp punches early on. She was able to time Val as she come forward and, and crack her with one twos and and whatnot. So we're then thinking, is this a 10-8? Have we got a draw? Did she win them, won them early rounds? Um, and she could have won anyway, but as it stands, doesn't matter at all. Got the finish and uh, fair play to her, new champ. But yeah, unfortunately, you know, as much as this throws a spanner into the works at one twenty five, and it's kind of, I don't know if it's the right word, but sort of serendipitous, that Started talking about 125 women's on the last episode. Keep talking about the last episode. I guess because I've done episodes episode so long, i got nothing to refer to. But Blanchfield, you know, she's now an interesting fighter at 125. I think um, Shevchenko's going to get the Nunez tax and we'll get an immediate rematch. But um, yeah, essentially, um, this makes the division more interesting. From a technical standpoint, not a huge amount of talk about. Val does what Val does. And Grasso just stayed patient, just chipped away, kept consistent the striking is relatively basic, um, but it was the intangibles. It was the it was the pressure. It was the stamina. It was everything um, which other Shevchenko opponents haven't had, that poise, the ability to stay focused in the moment that allowed her to pressure, Val, down the stretch, and eventually got her the win. Some nice little technical bits in there, but nothing to write home about. It's just, you know, it's good for women's 125. This idea that, you know, Shevchenko, she was so far above her opponents, but this idea that, She's one of the greatest of all time. I've never been on board with that. Sure, some people will. For me personally, not my bag. Um, yeah, just draw a line under the sand for this part of her career. Let's see how she responds. That would certainly be a legacy builder for her. If she can now, she's now got a rival essentially. If she can turn back Grasso and eventually beat Blanchfield, then we're talking about a fighter who's great. It's kind of the 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 John Jones beating Garn thing. You know, Chevchenko beating Laura Murphy doesn't impress me. Sorry. Um, her losing to Grasso, based on what we know of Grasso before, as a bit of a decision merchant, and someone who's very much a work in progress, at the moment it's a bit of an indictment on Shevchenko. But she's got, she'll has got she have a chance, no doubt, to uh, to get that win back. And uh, yeah, good luck to her. I will cover her now. No, she's not boring me. From a champion that's often left me underwhelmed to a prospect, as it just gets better and better every time I see him, shove Rakhmanov off, defeating Jeff Neal, the dependable Jeff Neal, by standing RNC in the third round. This was an absolute banger, basically, from start to finish. It feels like a gut-check fight for a 170 prospect, much as Gilbert Burns and comes at Khamsev was. Um, you know, I did have to come through some fight. Nothing like that fight. But um, I think we've learned a lot about him as a fighter. Some good, some bad. Mainly in the positive, as I say. He impresses me more and more. The more I see him, the more I see him against different styles of fighter, the more he stepped up. Uh, you know, Jeff was really good in the pocket. Rakmanov excelled there. Definitely some defensive issues. He's quite upright, quite stiff. He likes to double up on the on the rear end, you know, kind of walk forward, double up on the right hand, try and move you around, try and catch you off guard, try and change the tempo of that shot. Tends to work. In the third round, we see him do it, throw it. Lean up to the third round, he started really working his beautiful right hand to the body. You know, he couldn't really win the lead hand battle with Jeff Neal in the open stance matchup. He was closing distance better with kicks uh, and with knees. But you know, he really did find a spot for that right uppercut to the body. In the third round, he does it with no setup whatsoever and walks into a a big counter combo and he and he's on rubber legs. So there is some things to work up in that regard. He's a bit upright. Um, does like to keep his hands sort of around nipple height and a bit lower. Um, will bring him up as he punches, which is great, but concedes ground a little bit. hate to say it because he's a Kazakh, but, you know, Kazakh boxing sort of style, but a bit like Golovkin in the case of he's better at, he will concede ground sometimes when you throw at him backwards in a straight line rather than practically moving his head uh, or, or keeping his hands up, you know. And that gives you a chance to reset. So, Ratmanov, though, really excellent pressure fighter. As I say, love the way he closes distance with kicks and knees. Excellent clinch fighter. Always fighting uh, to create separation. Always fighting grips. Excellent in that regard. Um, Neil, lovely pocket boxer, but Ratmanov able to meet him with knees, elbows, um, fighting off, uh, fighting him off in that range as well. So I thought really Ratmanov passed every test, even though Jeff Neil had his moments, because someone like Jeff Neil is going to have moments. We can't see. Uncompetitive fights at this level The fact that Ratmanov passed that test Beating Neil Or competing with Neil Actually I think he did beat him in all phases of the fight But obviously There were moments when, when Neil uh, Really did shine brightly But really Ratmanov came through the stamina test He came through the chin test He came through the range test He came through the pocket test He came through the grappling test Every single test he passed And then finishes him late on in the third round so for me the fact it was competitive only makes Shavkat Ratmanov look better as I say just as a fighter love how he operates in the clinch love the kicks um, I think you know even in the, in the open stance matchup that right leg of his is just a, an immense weapon I do think that someone longer more defensively responsible than Neil. Might be able to test him even more on the feet because, as I say, bit stiff, bit upright, a little bit straight on at times. But all in all, excellent performance. And yes, that sort of holy trinity of £170 prospects comes at Chumayev, He might not even be able to make the way. Jack Della and Maddalena, who's not had that big test yet that Chimaev and Rachmanov have had, and obviously Chavkat Rachmanov. They make the division look great going forward. But, you know... JDM hasn't had that test, as I say. Chimaev might not make 170 again, much so I'd love him to be able to do so. It might well be that Shavkat Ratmanov is the coming man at 170. So once we get this Leon Edwards, kamaru Usman rubber match out of the way, I think you know, there's a couple other fights that Ratmanov can take at 170. And I think he's ready. He's, he's basically ready. Jeff Neal was, what, 7th, 8th in the division, coming off career best win over Luque. I think you know Ratmanov's there. You know you've got someone like Bilal Mohammed who's proven himself and ready for a title shot. But he's you know, it's, it's, it's a fight filler. That's 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 a that's a title fight filler. That's someone who's just sort of worthy of a shot. I don't think he's actually a legitimate even in a favourable Styles match. A real legitimate title challenger. He's just been around for a while. And he's putting together a really good run. Shavkat Ratmanov, in my opinion, he could be. A legitimate elite fighter. He looks like it. If you were to put him in Leon Edwards tomorrow, I think Leon would definitely have his moments. Uh, sorry, he wouldn't have his moments. He'd have his opportunities. Of course, Leon Edwards is going to have moments. But I just feel like Ratmanov he just he fills that space so well. He's always on top of you. I, I I would probably pick him to beat Leon Edwards by decision. Even though Leon has so many goods, and, and obviously he might not beat Usman in a rubber match, this is just... Spitballing, but even though he's able to do things to counteract what Rachmanov does well, you know, he's also an excellent clinch fighter, he's also so good at framing off, he's also excellent with uh kicks, knees, elbows. That's Leon's thing, you know. Just feel like Rachmanov does those things but sets a faster pace. Um, I just, you know, my battles with Leon as a fighter are well documented on this podcast, but just feel like Rachmanov could win a decision against him not easily by any means, but. I just feel like he he does things well that can allow him to compete with Leon, where other people can't. And, uh, yeah, I just feel like he's very much the coming man in terms of how he puts all those things together and the output that he's shown he could have. I don't know how he'd... I, I can see what he does to counteract um, you know, wrestling and whatnot. So I know he's got that up his sleeve, but I don't know how he'd fight against Usman. That, that's my big thing. If Usman won the title, then I might think, OK, if, if Kamara Usman's still got it and he's not shot or anything, I'm not sure how would deal with that sort of dominant uh, wrestler type. But, hey, you know, he's shown everything so far that makes me feel like he's got the skills to uh, be an all-round force. And, uh, yeah, if Chemaev can't make 170 again, he's legitimately the best prospect at the weight, in my opinion. I guess the point I'm trying to make is... Uh, you know if Leon Edwards wins again the uh, prototypical 170 pound wrestle boxer isn't really around so would be necessary concerned for Rakmanov going forward but yeah uh, not necessarily certain that he'd fail that test but that's just the thing I'm not 100% sure yet um, but yeah so far with everyone who can try and grapple with him he has uh, passed for flying colours looks like an excellent clinch fire and as a, as a range finder as well you know as I say, he lost the jab really today. He was kind of hand-fighting with Neil. Wasn't really able to establish a jab too often. Um, but, yeah, backed it up and uh, adapted. Started landing with the kicks instead. So, with the open-side kick, brilliant work. Nice adaptation. I just think he passed with flying colours. Apologies for actually getting excited about a fire for once. But Ratmanov's it. And as for Jeff Neil, still quality. Good performance. You know, I feel like the Wonderboy fight kind of... Made me so low on Jeff Neal. Everything before and after that in recent times, he's been really, really fucking good. So, yeah, Jeff Neal, match him like a winner. He didn't make weight. I think he will next time. Uh, didn't look you know, strained or anything in the fight. He looked fine. Um, and Dana White, in a rare, decent move, gave Jeff Neal a bonus as well. I hope I've got uh, looked after behind the scenes also because... I think they're going to want to take care of him going forward because this guy looks like a fucking serious, serious talent. And I pray, and I'm an atheist, but I pray that Chimaev can sort his life out, make 170, because can you imagine if either one of them wins the belt and we get this undefeated Chimaev-Rakmanov fight? You, you'd you be fucking lying if you wouldn't. you say you're not excited for that. I think that would be one of the most intriguing... I think it would be almost like a super fight, you know... You can say, like, oh, God, stop drinking the Kool-Aid, Kyle. But at the end of the day, like, how often do you get two super prospects, essentially, that are both undefeated fighting for a belt in a division that's been starved of new talent for a while? Do you know what I mean? Like, these two both look at 170. Not unbeatable, but fucking scary. And the fact you would... I hate to say it because weight in boxing is not MMA. But the... Comparison I'm thinking of is another weight weight fight, and it's Felix Trinidad and Oscar de la Hoya. That's the kind of feels I would get from a fight between Chimaev and Rachmanoff. But it's all about, you know, can Chimaev make the weight? I hope he can. Wonderful bit of Joe Rogan analysis as well in this fight. Shavkat's tall. Thanks for that, Joe. Cheers. i tell you who is tall for the weight. Jalen Turner. And maybe this part of the podcast will be most surprising, but much even more sold on Jalen Turner. As a prospect After his loss to Matush Gamrot In this bout Um, I think the kind of feeling I saw online Going into this was the You know Turner's a bit of a Hot prospect that hasn't really been tested And Gamrot's a guy who's basically on fraud watch And when I say that I'm not saying the guy's a fraud He's clearly a very capable fighter I've covered him on this this podcast a couple of times before But really could be, even after this fight, 0-3 in his last three, in my opinion. Um, I think Sorokin clearly beat him. Benil Darius clearly beat him. That's obvious, and he did beat him. And I think Jalen Turner actually deserved to win this fight. I'm not saying it's a robbery, like a Sorokin fight. and not saying that um, Gamrot didn't do anywhere near as badly as he did in the Darius fight. But for me, based on the scoring criteria, I think that Turner landed the sharper, more impactful blows throughout. I think uh, there are obviously things to work on. I, let's talk about what he's got to work on. Let's talk about the scoring first. But I think that Gamrot definitely in the first round did land some ground and pound as uh, Turner was trying to post up. And in the second round, right near the end with the crucifix, landed some ground and pound. It wasn't massively impactful, but obviously there was a lot of it. you know. And uh, it looks, optics-wise, if you're getting... If you're in a crucifix position and getting pounded on, you know, you can argue for that not to be important to scoring. Um, but even in, in the third round, didn't do much with the control. And you know, looking up at the clock, running around, Turner landing sharp, counter blows um, with that long frame of his, all seemed to bother Gamrot throughout. And uh, yeah, for me, I think Turner could have easily won two rounds. I think thirty twenty-seven Gamrot. Although I could kind of see how you could bend that way, if you wanted to, um, pretty egregious in my opinion. But aside from the scoring, Gamrot sort of stays top ten. We know his ceiling now. We know what he brings to the table. I think based on this fight, he's a pretty perfect gatekeeper. Took this at late notice. Um, pretty meat and potatoes as a striker. I can sort of you know strike from either stance, but pretty basic stuff. Pretty darn good wrestler. Not an amazingly uh, versatile finisher or anything like that. But, you know, he can wrestle. He can strike a bit. He's a good all-rounder. Really is a jack-of-all-trades master of none, in my opinion. Need a bit more at lightweight uh, to go to the top. But also, if you can't get through that kind of fire at lightweight, you don't deserve to get to the top. So, harsh as it sounds, at 155, very much still a gatekeeper. I wonder if he could still make 145, where he used to be but for turner actually did better at fighting off some of the takedown attempts or or at least you know regaining uh, his footing afterwards um showed uh, the ability to try and post up and de- desperately trying to get his back to the cage but you know that's what you got to do and i think you know some of the silly mistakes he made like I think it was the first round or the second round where just sort of he was on the front foot doing really well, peppering Gamrot's shots, stinging him, then throws a naked low kick and just gets taken down. Or in the third round where um Gamrot sort of fighting him with a single and he tries to hit him with a flying knee. Looks great. Um be amazing if it comes off, highlight reels, etc. etc. But in terms of functional output and ways of you know defending bad positions, not great. So Turner actually, all the physical ability in the world. Now can see what he's got to work on to take that next step, in my opinion. Whereas, for me, Gamro, his ceiling is very much clear. With Turner, I know people were hoping uh, to see him tested. He's now lost this fight. Maybe people were going, oh, he's not as good as we thought. Actually, I think there's a lot to take from a lot of positives to take from this one. And he now knows what he needs to work on. So, well up for seeing both of these guys match as winners going forward. Um, maybe we'll see him fight again down the line. Pretty compelling matchup. I did enjoy it. Just thought Turner deserved to win the fight. I thought he landed the cleaner blows uh, throughout. Um, and when Gamrot did get him in bad positions, which was quite uh, regular over the three rounds, wasn't able to do enough with it to sort of counter the times. He was clearly stung. Sort of looked like a couple of flash knockdowns here and there, or bundled over. The optics of that are also bad, but we just still seem to favour takedowns, control, and a bit of ground and pound that doesn't get someone in a, a terrible state. We still seem to favour that. We still seem to uh, judges still seem to think that of of that as, you know, being important to win a round. We still hear the UFC commentator say, Oh, he's won the round with that takedown. We're fucking ten years in the past, mate. We're fifteen years in the past. Come on now. Let's we've got to do better. Um one young prospect who shouldn't need much of an introduction, but Bo Nickel, excellent all American wrestler, um regardless of what you think of his his first opponent here, um, and I think I've said before that I don't particularly uh, rate Jamie Pickett. The fact of the matter is for Nickel to blast through him so quickly um, in just his fourth uh, bout, really impressive. Um, So, such a slick back take, Uh, just excellent stuff. He did have to fight for the takedown, but he's got a lot to work on, I'm sure. But to be beating a fighter like this who's an actual, you know, Bit of veteran, being around the block a little bit and pick it. Um, easily, in just his fourth bout, shows to me that, talk about hot prospects, talked about earlier with Rachmanov and, and Chimayev, at 185, Bo Nichols the man. So, really great stuff. Check it out. It was quick, didn't take long and very, very slick stuff. Hopefully he'll be out again in the next month or so. Then our how bad his cut is to 185. He's fucking wrestled all over the shop, I think from like... 170 or up to 200 pounds there about. Uh, so I'm not sure how much he cuts. Doesn't look humongous. So hopefully he can make it or even just give him someone shit at 205 in the interim. I don't really care. Um, just get him out regularly. Get him more cage experience. We know he's got some raw power from one of his earlier fights. And uh, yeah, clearly got just insane athletic uh, level and should progress pretty quickly. Like 170, 185 is a division that's been long... Uh, crying out for uh, prospects and uh, Bo Nickel should be pushed given this is a UFC debut and it's on a pay-per-view card as the opener he's going to get a massive push can have plenty of opportunities to do it not a huge amount to talk about obviously I'm not a uh, grappling expert but stuff online if you want to check people out I would have retweeted it this morning anyway so uh, but yeah just check it out it's well worth a watch and uh, Bo Nickel looks to be absolutely shit out it's kind of thing where like if you can teach him a bit more say Pereira beats Adesanya if you get Nickel a couple of fights in the interim just a bit more experience based on his grappling acumen you wouldn't say no we can't beat Pereira he's just two he's levels above him we've got a fucking striking specialist who's the champion and Nickel's going to fucking easily out grapple him unless he gets his fucking head taken off that's the same for basically anyone it doesn't matter what level uh, or stage of his career he's at, Bo nickel would have as good a chance of uh, out-grappling Pereira and as good a chance as anyone else of getting his head taken off. It doesn't matter that he's a prospect. You could fucking put him in a title fight and he might win. Um, did appear quite ropey and a bit sloppy on the feet. Um, can't do that against Pereira. You will get your fucking head knocked into Z, but, uh Or Rosie, as my American listeners might call it. But uh, yeah, fucking if you... again. Acting like I'm not excited about him as a prospect, and to act that I'm sort of too cool for school—it's bullshit. I'm massively excited that UFC have got one of these top prospects. Um, Bellator seems to snap up so many intriguing uh, sort of wrestlers and and foreign prospects nowadays that for them to grab Bo Nickel and be pushing him. And if we have someone potentially intriguing at £185 Yes, I'm fucking excited Absolutely Talk about £185 from the prelims uh, Drikus Du Plessis versus Derek Brunson Was absolute car crash Must watch stuff Check it out immediately Lovely stuff indeed Just absolute slobber knocker In terms of just awfulness um, Loved it Really, really good stuff um, Cody Garbrandt Still not sold on him at all Um sold any sort of renaissance anyway, is what I mean, you know, obviously he's had his moment in the sun, uh, beat Trevin Jones, had a couple of dodgy moments towards the end there, but uh, yeah, all in all, pretty routine stuff, but as soon as he fights someone that can bang again, he'll get wiped out, there could be no doubt about that, so uh, look forward to that um, happening at some point. Again, don't hate the guy by any means, but um, he's most fun when he's in shootouts that he can either bang someone out in or get banged out himself. We know his level by now. And talking about tall prospects, um, can't finish a podcast without talking about Ian Gary, a guy I've not been sold on, but has slowly started to impress me. Um, not sold on Son Canan really as a fighter at all, so I don't particularly care in that regard. But what Gary showed in terms of his poise, his ability to get out of the way, counter um, lead as well as counter... The way he's putting his shots together, the way he's um, you know, varying up his strikes, starting to come around to him. Still don't think he's this, what they call him, the future. So not really sold on him as that. I remember before his pro debut, one prominent writer slash podcaster, I won't name because I really like this person, but said, you know, Gary's got pro world title potential. Never sold on that. Certainly haven't been in his first couple of fights, but really starting to put together clinical stuff, uh, Stayed sharp throughout Got the finish uh, Towards the end of the third round Yeah Very much impressed By the performance Look forward now To seeing him work his way through And progress his way uh, Up the ladder There's lots of interesting Fights for him Um, You know Under the tutelage Of Henry Hoof And those guys um, Sanford Black Zillions Whatever the fuck's it called now What's it called now? Hold on It's going to stop while I check Of course Killcliffe FC I mean Definitely the worst name They've come up with yet Um, But yeah Under the the church of those guys, he's just getting better and better. And uh, although I'm not sold on the opponent, pretty one route stuff in that regard, um, cannot knock the performance. So I will always say when I'm wrong on this podcast, I'm not completely sold on Ian Gary yet. But he's definitely a more interesting prospect than I originally gave him credit for. And I think that's fair to say. I think that'll do it for this week. So don't know when this uh, feed will be back, but be sure to check out the Combat Chronicles Patreon at www.com patreon.com slash combat chronicles where i'm dropping stuff pretty regularly get a uh, couple bonus episodes a month on there some shorter than others some longer than others uh, but always try and provide some weird and wonderful content over there looking at more niche subjects than you might find on this free feed so be sure to check that out until you hear me again be it on patreon or on this feed have a good one thanks for listening really appreciate it and uh, peace out